You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off. U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. Did you ever see the episode of Monster Quest where they were looking for giant spiders in the Amazon and in the desert? Here's a little teaser if you haven't. Plus, a second expedition searches the desert for another huge arachnid. One rumored to be feasting on the flesh of American GIs in Iraq. It had the ugliest fangs I've ever seen in my life. Are giants among us? No, I doubt they are. But I did manage to track down the two scientists who were in that second expedition, and we're going to talk to them next on Monster Talk. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant, hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland, it's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Talk. Welcome to Monster Talk, the science show about monsters. I'm Blake Smith, and together with Ben Radford, we're going to find out some facts behind the legends of giant spiders. There is a tremendous amount of folklore surrounding spiders, arachnids, and arthropods in general. The cryptozoology aspects are not as well known as for creatures such as Bigfoot or Nessie, but there are legends of spiders as big as cars. And a photo of an odd-looking specimen went viral during the Gulf War, that turned out to be a forced perspective shot of a creature known as a camel spider, or solifuge. For a lot of reasons, there's not much chance of a giant spider surviving in the modern world. But in prehistoric times, arthropods reached astonishing sizes. If you're squeamish about bugs and insects, I think you'll really enjoy this episode as our guests share their contagious enthusiasm for all things that creep and crawl. Monster Dog. So today on Monster Talk, we're interviewing Christy Reddick and Jessica Honecker, collectively known as the Bug Chicks. They are both entomologist graduates from Texas A&M who are on a mission to demystify insects and bugs, in their words, to turn fear into fascination. Welcome to Monster Talk. Hi. Thanks. So just as a little background, um, we were discussing before the this part of the uh, show that several of the guests on the show and Ben uh, as well have all been on the television show Monster Quest. So I ran into you guys on Twitter by coincidence. You actually noticed one of my ridiculously punny 
uh, jokes. And uh, <laughs> we, we, which let, let me just say, after having have, having had to endure Blake's really awful puns for the last few years, this is finally a time when that paid off. So it, yeah, it's the, it's the first positive <laughs> return on pun investment, right? <laughs> I, I I enjoy bad puns. They're they're my favorite thing in the world. I think so. Awesome. Yeah. Well, so when I saw when I saw your uh, uh, website, I thought, "Gosh, these ladies look familiar." And then I, I went over to YouTube and looked up uh, the Monster Quest episode uh, on uh, giant spiders, and there you were. So that's how come I reached out to you guys, which you already know, but I wanted to share that with the audience so that these puns are not all in vain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Monster Quest. That was um, that was right after. We had finished our master's degrees, and uh, the people at Monster Quest had reached out to Texas A&M to a professor named John Jackman, who was the spider expert at Texas A&M, and uh, they wanted to know about camel spiders, and I had just finished defending my thesis, and actually the day that I defended my thesis, Dr. Jackman came up to me and said, hey, I think I I have an opportunity for you, and, and maybe you can bring Jessica and maybe you guys can get on TV and, and talk about these amazing animals. And I thought, oh, that that's great. What a great idea. And uh, and so we did. And I think overall the experience was was really positive. I really liked the crew Absolutely. that we worked with down mm-hmm. in down in Southwest Texas. But then when we watched the show, it it was edited a bit to look like we were actually searching for a solifuge the size of a small dog. Yeah, that <laughs> happens on that show. Now, before we dig in too much on insects and monster quests, which we will do, <laughs> how did you guys get involved in entomology? Oh, the question. Yeah, yeah. well, for me, um, I had a really awesome professor in undergrad um, for a course that uh, I had to take as a requirement, and um, and he totally changed my direction because I was originally as physical therapy. And then after taking his classes, I, I decided to focus on entomology. And uh, I did my master's work at, at A&M where I met Christy. But her, her background's very different than, than mine, how she got into ento. <laughs> yeah. So I have a degree in, in theater uh, from the University of the Arts in Philadelphia. And my whole life, up until I was about 22, was completely focused on being, being an actor, uh, a stage actor. And um, about my sophomore year, I started to realize that I was fairly unhappy and that I felt like I had sort of lost what I actually wanted to be when I grew up. And that was really Jane Goodall. Hmm. Um, and, and because when I was little, I didn't dream about you know, being on stage or acting. I used to dream about living in the jungle and studying animals. So I I just sort of challenged myself to figure out what that would be like if I just tried that for a little while. So I uh, went back to school and got some biology credits. And uh, I was offered, I was late registering. And they said, well, you can either take entomology, which I had no idea what it was, or chemistry. And I was like, well, whatever the other one is, I'll take it. Like, I wasn't ready to take chemistry because I, I came from a theater background. I was like, oh, man, chemistry is not going to be good for my self-esteem. So, um, so I took entomology. And, and like Jessica, I had a professor who, God, you, you, you think about those teachers in your life who, who change you. And he was one of those teachers, Dr. Tim Yoho at, at Lock Haven University. And his enthusiasm and his, um, his sheer joy at teaching and, 
and for the animals that, that he studied um, was infectious. And I, I went to Africa and study abroad, still thinking I was going to study large mammals. And I just became addicted to, to the arthropods. Everyone was looking at the elephant and I was looking at the dung beetle. I mean, it was literally, I couldn't. And that's where I saw my first um, solifuge. And it was love at first sight and it changed my life. And I, I promised myself that that's, that's what I would do. Because it feels, and I think Jess will agree with me here, it feels when you are studying insects that you're a little bit like Magellan. <laughs> Very much. That, that you are embarking on this discovery and that there's so much that is not known. And it's such an exciting, it's exciting to, to learn something that isn't known. Yeah, absolutely. And... Um, Mm-hmm. And I would, I would have to say that entomologists are some of the most fun people on mm-hmm. the planet. I mean, they're dorky. We are dorky. <laughs> but you get us together and we are, we are just pretty fun bunch. Yeah. <laughs> it's a dork party. And, it's, and, and people were very, um, very welcoming and, and very excited about anyone who, who wants to learn about entomology. So that sort of changed our lives. Well, I think that's a great story, and be, partly because it, it, it's a nice little shout out to teachers. I think that it's 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 nice when we when we we meet people and and they say, you know, why where do you have this passion? The answer is a teacher, you know, in school and in college, and like somebody got fired up and said, "This is fascinating. Please look at this from the scientific point of view," and it just you know alters people's lives. I think I just love those stories, so I'm, I'm glad <laughs> I'm glad you told us about that one. Absolutely. And you know, what's funny is uh, as easily as a teacher or maybe not easily, but, uh, but as impactful as a teacher can be, they can also have a real negative impact if you get the wrong one. When I was in eighth grade, my science teacher said I should just stick, stick to stick to dance and theater because I had no aptitude for science. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I didn't pursue marine biology and all of these things. And, and it took me a long time to get back to it because someone told me that I couldn't, and I believed hmm. them. Bastards. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right, let me ask you this. So, so you know, your state of mission is to demystify insects and bugs. And so the, obviously inherent in that mission is that they're mystified, that there are people who are afraid of bugs. And, of course, many people are. They, they, bugs you know, have this connotation of things that are dirty and creepy and nasty and biting and stinging and evil and just things that you don't want to study and you sure as hell don't want in your house. So wh- why do you think it is that the, these bugs are so reviled? Why, why is there this sort of innate you know, concern or fear or disgust at them? Um, I think a lot of it is that people, people don't understand. People just don't understand them. They don't know what they do all day. They don't know, you know, why they, you know, why a spider moves as creepy as it does or, or where they come from, um, I, I think that that's a lot of it. And um, ignorance, yeah. And a lot of times, a lot of the people that we speak with, you know, there's a lot of the stories that when I was a kid, this happened. You know, I was stung by a hive of bees, or or a spider or, or crawled yeah. on me, and then I. So you get a lot of when I was little, but also I I think it's that the the insects and and arthropods that that people see normally are are the pest species mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. especially like take so we used to live in texas and so the insect that you would see 
every day almost was were cockroaches. Or you would see the red wasps, the Palistes mm-hmm. red wasps, or the yellow jackets. And so when you start to see only the ones that are that are um, sort of negative in 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 and in, in how they and behave, how they're perceived yeah. and how they're perceived that just it just impacts you it's just all the time um, what I like to do is tell people to put their small eyes on and just sit for 15 minutes in your backyard and you will be amazed at the diversity of animals in your backyard that are that are small arthropods that you didn't even know were there and haven't bothered you and aren't bothering you I think people people anthropomorphize insects and their motivations. They think, oh, you know, this yellow jacket is flying near me because it wants to hurt me. Or Mm -hmm. this spider is here in in the corner of my room just waiting for me to go to sleep so that it can suck my blood. Um, And, and, and I think that's, I think we're very self-focused and I think the minute you take the focus off of yourself and, and put it onto something else, Mm -hmm. it really helps to shift that perception. So when you got invited to talk about uh, camel spiders or what are you, solifuges? Solifuges. Uh, some people call them um, solifugids, um, camel spiders. It, they, they go by a bunch of different names. What, did, First, what, what does solifuge mean? Yeah. Um, so, so it sort of means fleeing, fleeing from the sun. A sol is is sun. there's there's all sorts of different names. They're very soft. Uh, there, there's this, there's this one, um, there's this book that I have about solifuges. It's like the only book on solifuges. <laughs> and, and it talks about some of the mytholo- mythology and some of the names in South Africa. They're called, and I'm going to butcher this. I apologize to anyone who speaks Afrikaans, but like a harskarder or a barskarder. Harskarder meaning, um, a hair chewer or a hair eater or hair trimmer, because they thought that while you slept on the ground, solifuges would come and, and trim bits of your hair or your beard and line their nests with the hair. Wow. They're really <laughs> lovely. Can they be trained to clean your back? Because I have this. <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? If we could just get some economic importance here. Right. <laughs> so, so, okay, so you were you, you uh, managed, you already explained how you got onto the show Monster Quest. Yeah. And, and I assume that the producers already had something in mind to do with this, this uh, with the Camel Spider Solifuge. And, um, but how did that play out? Like, what was it, what was the narrative they wanted to talk about versus what you wanted to talk about? Or Oh, it was all about myth busting. It was all, it was all about, um, basically they'd run out of fake monsters and they were going towards real fears for the show. Cause I, it was like, it was several seasons. Yeah, it was in. like the third season. Um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so, so, so they wanted to talk about legitimate fears that people have of, of these animals, and and if there is a giant spider, that uh, the section that didn't have to do with us was all about that giant spider mm-hmm. in like Venezuela that walked across the car that was the size of oh, a yeah, it's a, the Congo, <laughs> the Jabafofi. We'll talk about that. Yeah. So, um, so really, why they why they wanted uh, me on the show was was just to talk about camel spider biology and and they we went down to Southwest Texas to find them, but we went in June and it was during the middle of a horrible drought and solifuges can be difficult to find. Um, if you're not there at the right time, if you're not there in the right sort of, 
the sort of environmental circumstances, they can be really difficult to find. And I had never searched for solifugias in, in Southwest Texas. I specifically focus on East African solifugias. So if I, if I had been able to take them to Lake Begoria, we would have found hundreds of them. But, you know, we're down in Southwest Texas and you're sort of rolling rocks and trying to figure out where these things are and laying pitfall traps and, and not getting anything. We were only there for two days. So, uh, so we didn't find a solifuge, which I think is sad. Because I think it maybe would have changed mm -hmm. a little bit of, of how that, that section was yeah. portrayed. But the crew was awesome. I do want to say that. The field crew that we were with, they were awesome and really interested in everything that we found. We found a lot of tarantulas uh, because we were finding males who were out on their migrations trying to find the female for mating season. So they got some beautiful shots of the tarantulas. And, um, and I will say that the crew that we were with was was awesome and respectful of the animals and really interested in learning about them. You, you know, if if you could reach out to the Monster Quest watchers, people who saw the show, and and say tell them some things that, that didn't make it to the screen, you know, sort of, uh, to, you know, I don't know if correcting some errors <laughs> is the right way to put it, mm -hmm. but, you know, just saying, oh, okay, you know, I, I know that in the final cut, this is what it looked like, but this is really what we were trying to do. Yeah. Uh, what would you, do you want to make it hit a couple of points? Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, we were not searching for a solifuge the size of a dachshund. Um, there was also not a solifuge the size right. of a dachshund. <laughs> we, were, we were not. Uh, solifuges do not have venom. They are not true spiders. They, they are arachnids, meaning they have two body sections, a cephalothorax and an epistosoma or an abdomen. They've got eight legs, eight jointed legs. They are arthropods, so they are... They are part of this whole um, phylum of animals that is related to crustaceans and insects and millipedes and centipedes and things like that. They have an exoskeleton. Um, and they're basically the coolest animals on the planet. <laughs> They've got pedipalps, right? So, so arachnids have chelicery and pedipalps. This is their mouth parts. And the chelicery are those big jaws on the front. I think everyone is familiar with those mm -hmm. with self just at this point. Big scary um, looking things. They crush the prey, yeah. But then there's two leg-like extensions that come out very near the base of the pedipalps and they look like legs but they're actually mouth parts and they've got suction cups at the end and they can climb surfaces using these suction cups. It would be like us climbing a glass skyscraper with our lips and having <laughs> our legs dangle at the sides. That is they awesome. Have, I want to wow. do that. Yep. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> so I made to lose weight. <laughs> <laughs> they're they're very fast creatures. They do not chase you. They're, so when they run after you, there's a lot of stories about Iraq and Afghanistan soldiers saying that they are chasing you. And this is this is kind of where we get that that camel spider mythology that they chase after camels and they nip the stomachs and they eat the intestines and lay the eggs inside the dead camel. Doesn't happen. What they do is, it has been reported that they will follow you because they are interested in chasing your shadow. Um, it's hot in the desert. Everything's looking for a little bit of shade. If you're casting a shadow, things are going to congregate there. They're not, they're not trying to come get you. They don't have this malevolent nature about them. Um, they are literally trying to make it through the day. They need to eat. They need to make sure that they've got enough moisture from what they eat. They need to find a mate. They need to lay eggs, and they need to they yeah. need to die. I mean, that's that that's their life cycle, and 
And that's the life cycle of of every arthropod. That's what every arthropod is trying to do. P.S. That's what people try to do too. We're trying to make it through the day, make sure we ate something, find a mate, procreate, and and live our lives. So um, that's what I would like to say. <laughs> but, but okay, I, excellent. Wouldn't it be cool to have your entire shadow made up of these? <laughs> oh, how awesome would that be? Yeah. Jess and I are launching a web series, and one of our goals, it'll probably happen in season two, is 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 to go and film that. I, I want to I film these animals in their natural environment. We got a bit of footage when we were over in Kenya, but it was six years ago, and we didn't, we didn't have the camera capabilities or the skill that we have nowadays. So I feel like we could really do these animals justice by by filming them and, and filming them in their natural environment and seeing the ones, oh my gosh, there are these solifuges that come out between the hours of 10 and 2, in 10 in the morning and 2 in the afternoon, and they run on the black volcanic rocks in Lake Bogoria. And, um, and they are little purple solifuges with bright white hairs, and they look a little bit like seeds blowing in the wind when they run. And you can almost set your watch by them. We spent many, many <laughs> days in Kenya time stamping when they would come out. And, and so there are diurnal solifuges, these, these animals that come out during the day, and then most of them are nocturnal. So we would spend a lot of time at night with lanterns and they would run to the lanterns. And watching these, these things come and eat moths that are, that are attracted to the lanterns and run around in a dizzying pattern. They're so fast. They're just, they're awesome. Ugh, why doesn't everyone love them? You say they're, they're purple? The the diurnal one was. Yeah, yeah. sort of a purplish. Yeah, in the sun they have this this almost iridescent purple tinge to them. Yeah. And then these white hairs coming off of their back legs. Ugh, they're cool, man. Is, is, there, is there like an evolutionary reason for that? Or like it's an idea of why that might be purple? Or well, can, they, can they see color? Now that that's an interesting no, I, I don't believe so. Um, uh, you know, the, the different arthropods can see in the UV spectrum. They see they see differently than. Oh we yeah, do. I've seen some really cool pictures of what insects look like in the UV too. That's neat. Exactly, and yes. so so the way that they see the world is is different than the way that we see the world, and um, and for a lot of these animals, they have sort of simple simple eyes. So they're seeing light and dark differences in, in, in light and dark instead of fully formed shapes or something like that. Um, so evolutionarily speaking, I mean, I, you know, I haven't done any research on that, but, but just, just to put out sort of a, a, like an inference, the, that species we only found on black volcanic rock. They didn't run on the grasses. There were you could you could go to the black volcanic rocks and find them, and then move three feet over to a little tuft of of savanna grass and find another species that was hiding underneath a rock that was nocturnal. But you wouldn't find them mixed. Neat. Yeah. All right, I, I have a question, and this is this may be a little off topic in terms of uh, spiders, but it's uh, we, you're talking about the how a lot of people's opinions and, and fear of of bugs and insects are, are formed by early childhood memories, and the scariest one there's, there's actually two that I can talk about. One one of them is um, I live in New Mexico, and uh, we have some centipedes here, 
And I, for some reason, I've always been scared of centipedes because I think part is because they, they run fast. Yes. And, you know, I, I, th- I tend to think of like bugs are okay if I can like, if, if, if they don't move too fast, they're acceptable to me. But if they can like scamper somewhere, like that's not cool. That's like unnatural. So, you're talking about a centipede? Is that, yeah, like your, your centipedes are fast down there or are you talking about like a house scorpion? No, no, I, I've had scorpions in my house too, but I'm talking centipedes. They're, they're oh. like, they're sort of like off yellow. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, but anyway, so I just, are they just, big? How long they, are they? Um, I'm gonna say the ones around here, the biggest ones I've seen, are probably about uh, eight inches. Most okay. of them are probably closer to. <laughs> yeah. Most so, of them are probably closer to like like five or six. Right. Um, so, but yeah, I was just gonna say, but the the, the creepiest thing that, that that freaked me out was that I, I was probably. I was probably like eight or ten or something, and we had one running around the house. And the only thing I could think of to do was to to get a knife, and I cut it in half. And um, and so 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 we had these That's two. This, so we we had these two halves of these these centipedes going off in different directions, which freaked me the hell out. And but I figured, okay, they're they're gone. It went, it went underneath the couch. Three days later, half a centipede is running under my bed. And I lost it. I just and ran out the door. And so, That's karma. It, <laughs> yeah. oh, man, I was like, I don't, I don't know what skeptics think about karma, but I think that's karma. <laughs> that's just, I, just the idea that that half this thing could be, yeah. And ever since then, that's just anyway. But that's that wasn't actually wasn't the story. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 I'm like, I'm like, emitting my my childhood traumas here. You but the other one was, I was. I was in my I was in my front yard one time, and I was probably a few years older than that, and uh, and was sitting in some dirt, and I happened to look around, and there was a bug that was clenching uh, one of my toes, and it was it was called a child of the earth, or a, uh, I think a Jerusalem cricket. Oh yeah! And I had never seen it before, and it was the it just it terrified me, and it, I didn't hurt it because it looked kind of cute, but I just I've never. Can you tell me about it? Because I, I, I heard all sorts of weird things. And, you know, of course, same with, you know, it's interesting. You start looking at the, like mythologies of, of like insects. And like I had heard, and I, I, I later realized it was initial, that centipedes can like, you know, they bite your skin. They like crawl under your skin and they're like, so help, help me out here. Okay. All right. We're going to talk centipedes first and then Jerusalem crickets. Okay. Okay. So centipedes, centipedes are often confused with millipedes, Right. Centipedes are the ones that run fast and often they're flatter and they only have one pair of legs per sort of visible body segment. You need to know your metric bugs, people. <laughs> you do. You well, need to take a look. Observe. For these you do. Observe. Because, because millipedes are real cool and you can handle them for the most part. Some of them leak a little bit of poison, but just don't lick yourself afterwards and you'll be fine. But centipedes do have venom. They have... Um, their their first pair of legs is actually modified into a pair of venom claws. They're called uh, forcupules, isn't it? Yes. Forcupules. And, forcupules. and the reason the reason why they run fast is because they're predators. So okay. if all you ate was rotting fungus like a millipede, you wouldn't have to run very fast to get it, right? Right. So it's not running very fast to to be like ah, I'm a centipede. I can run so fast. I'm gonna bite your face. <laughs> it is it is running fast so that it can run down its prey. They are ambush hunters. Well, not necessarily ambush hunters. They're sort of they're sort of run and find and, and kill hunters. I don't know. Chase them down. I don't know. I don't know what the word is for that, but it's not ambush. But 
Okay, so um, so centipedes, you do need to be careful around centipedes. They're one of the few animals that we talk about whenever we teach. Um, just look with your eyes. Don't don't touch because some of them can have a very dangerous venom, and and everyone reacts differently to venoms. Jessica, how do you react to venoms? Very intensely. <laughs> I tend to swell. I whine a lot, and uh, and I'm down for like. Two days. She's down. Yeah. So she's seriously affected by most venoms. Even a bee sting will cause a welt on Jessica. I mean, we take pictures. It's fun. It's pretty awesome. Oh, wow. <laughs> um, you keep an EpiPen all the time. I should. Yeah. Once we get health insurance, then we'll get an EpiPen. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> but until then, for just a little extra. Twenty fourteen is coming. No, okay. What's it's coming? It's coming. It's around the corner. Um, now, if if a bee stung me. It, it stings, it hurts, and then five minutes later, it's you can't like, even tell. It's like it didn't happen. So, so different people react differently to venom. So you do need to be careful. The reason you cut it in half with a knife, you <laughs> monster. And it scared me, man. All I had was a kitchen knife. I thought it was going like, to like bite me and kill me and like digest me and poop me out. Like a butter knife? Oh my God. No, it was a, it was a, it was a very high-quality kitchen knife. Yeah, it was, it was centipede, then benipede. <laughs> okay. So now I'm not going to talk about why I was still walking around three days later because memory is a very interesting thing when you're a child. <laughs> it, we know. It may, it may have been the next day, but in and my mind, it was like a month later. I'm just saying. Memory is interesting, and, and the reason why I say that is because I have a memory, a very, very clear memory, that is probably a lie I fabricated <laughs> in my mind of a giant ladybug surrounded by millions of other ladybugs in my front yard. And I remember running into the house and telling my mother that it was this, it was like the size of a loaf of bread, this ladybug. <laughs> memory <laughs> is often false. <laughs> so, um, so... The centipedes and all arthropods actually have a really, really neat part of their internal morphology. The reason why you can cut the head off of a cockroach, which is sort of the, the classic um, the, the classic example, yeah. and have it still run around, is that you have different brain centers. You have a ventral nerve cord. We Our nerve cord goes down our dorsal or our back. But in arthropods, it goes down their ventral side. And you have little brain centers called ganglia, right? So you've got, you've got in the head space, you've got two different types of ganglia. You've got uh, a, a subesophageal and a supraesophageal. Basically, they just wrap around the esophagus, whatever. And then you've got little brain centers that manage the wings and the legs and then down into the abdomen. And for, for centipedes... And I don't know that much about internal morphology, but I would assume, and I'm, I'm going to say this, I'm, I would assume that each brain center, each leg pair is going to have a different little brain center, which still allows it to move around, which is why okay. that happened. You monster. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti. And I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about, that you care about. The stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy. 
UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose, it kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. <laughs> I, I don't do it anymore. I, I, I flick them outside and I, I, I give them a stern warning and that usually works. Yeah. Excellent. <laughs> Stay out. This is the line in the sand. Yeah, they're, they're, they're really cool creatures. Um, we found a blue one in Kenya. Oh. It was about nine inches long. Yeah. Uh, it was it was gorgeous. Yes. Really gorgeous. They're cool. I would like to do more work with centipedes. I would like to learn how to handle them. That's another maligned animal that we can totally talk about. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I've actually eaten quite a few bugs myself. Uh, yeah, uh, it, it, yeah. It started on dares, but yeah. Like for example, I can tell you, I like the flavor of crickets. Uh, would be those are quite tasty. Uh, did not care for grasshoppers. Yeah. They have mm. to be cooked properly. Yeah, maybe Jeff- that's the trick. Yeah, they they uh they they're really bitter. Or the ones I've eaten have been. They can be. Yeah. Jess and I have had some real good grasshoppers, and we've had some real bad ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. They. I think they have to be cooked properly. We're we're good friends with the bug chef David George Gordon, and man, he can cook a bug. <laughs> he, wow. Uh, he had a a bug feast up in Seattle uh, a few months ago, and we went, and I swear. His Jamaican jerk oh, cricket kebabs. Yeah. I must have eaten like twenty of them. <laughs> they were so they good. They were awesome. I think yeah. crickets and beetles are the two go-tos for me. Like if I had to eat bugs again, like you know, for a meal. But that's a funny thing. There's a, that's a cultural thing. I mean, and in like you know, on American TV, it's like oh, they're having to eat mealworms. And then in other places, if you have a protein-low diet, eat away. Yeah. Right? That's just absolutely. Yeah. Ooh, TV. Don't even get me started on Fear Factor. That's the one I was thinking of, right? So. If I met that guy in an alley, I swear. So, <laughs> so okay. So let's go back to the legendary bugs for a okay, second. Okay, yeah. So, so giant spiders. I think it's safe to assume uh, that there. I, I assume you let me know if I'm wrong, but that there are no really big giant spiders like big enough that uh, they could bowl over you if you were standing. That kind of thing. Um, I don't know what the biggest spiders are that we know of alive today, but I know that there used to be really big insects. I mean, that, that, that was a thing. Like, and, and speaking of, uh, you know, centipedes and millipedes, what was it? Arthropleura uh, could be like up to eight feet long. So, so what happened? Why, why don't we have giant insects like this anymore? Or giant, uh, I mean, what's the difference between an insect and a bug? What? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah let's start there. So, so, People who are not entomologists use the term bug to describe anything that is creepy crawly and has more than four legs or that has a crunchy exoskeleton, right? The term that we use for those animals are arthropods. Exoskeleton, um, jointed legs, segmented bodies, segmented bodies, Mm -hmm. things like that. So underneath arthropods, you have the insects, you have the arachnids, you have the centipedes, the millipedes, you have the crustaceans. And you have a a bunch of different ones. But those are sort of the five that people really think about. When you're an entomologist, the term bug actually refers to one 
order, one actually suborder of insects in, in the order Hemiptera. So true bugs like stink bugs. Assassin bugs, wheel bugs. Yeah. Um, and so, and those, those are piercing, sucking mouth parts. They suck up plant juices and, and sometimes other insect juices. The so real bugs and, suck. What now? Real bugs suck. Real bugs suck. <laughs> exactly. Okay, got it. Okay. <laughs> so, so we use the term interchangeably when we're talking uh, in a, in a scientific forum, we use, we use the term true bug. Um, but we don't teach scientists. We teach people who aren't scientists. So one of the reasons why we chose our name as the bug chicks instead of the arthropod chicks, A, branding, and B, um, we use that as a way to teach. That's, that's a really beautiful opening to start talking about the classification of these animals. And the way you can remember this is all bugs are insects, but not all insects are bugs. And, yeah. and about them being giants? Okay, Yes. Now, long, long, millions of years ago, yes. Once upon a time. They, they, they were much larger. Part of that, there's a couple of different theories about why that is the case and why we, we don't have the size range today that we did back then. One of them is oxygen levels in the atmosphere, that there was much more, uh, the atmosphere was much more oxygen rich. And so... Um, so they could get to a larger size, just just sort of respiration efficiency wise. And then um, some people propose that that there was there was sort of a limitation with how large these animals could get because of their exoskeleton and 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 carrying around the weight of the exoskeleton and that the muscles wouldn't be strong enough. Though some other people don't believe that mm-hmm. that's true because there is internal structure where muscles attach inside the exoskeleton. Um, uh, but, you know, think about how successful arthropods are. Insects are the most successful animals on the planet. There are more insects than any other animals put together. There are more beetles than any other animal and plant put together. More beetles? More beetles. If you, put, if you wow. lined up every, every animal and plant in a row, every tenth one would be a type of weevil beetle. Cool. That's how many beetles there are on the planet. And, and, and scientists haven't even described all of them. They've described about a million. They're thinking that there's four million out there. So really, for some reason, you know, evolution drove, drove them to get smaller and smaller and smaller. There are tiny, the tiniest insect is a, is a little wasp that lays its eggs inside the eggs of other insects. Cool. Right? I mean, it's like <laughs> stunned silence. <laughs> that, that's, 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 I, I'm like, I like picturing that. Like, I know. Wow. And you have to. You have to just take a second and like wrap your mind around that there are teeny tiny wasps that are fully formed organisms that you know, and they're and and they are microscopic. So, um, so yeah, I think. Just because it, that's my it, answer for that. Yeah, it just makes more sense for for survival that they're that they're small. I mean, there was a selection in mm-hmm. place for yeah. them to get smaller and smaller and smaller, and as they got smaller, um, they got more successful. I seem to remember from watching a, 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 one of the many documentaries I've seen that that ants and termites are re- both related to flying insects, but I can't remember which ones they are. Is it? Ants and bees and termites and wasps, or am I just totally misremembering that? No, no, no. You're you're right. Ants ants are part of the order Hymenoptera, 
which is bees, wasps, and ants. And actually, if you see a flying ant, it's a, it's hard sometimes for people to tell the difference between a wasp and a flying ant. Oh, cool. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and termites, what are they related to, I guess? <laughs> termites are actually related to wood roaches. Roaches. Oh, yeah. great. So like all the things that harm your house are, are friends and cousins. <laughs> now, let me say this. There are about 4,000 different species of cockroach on the planet. Only about 40 of them are domestic or peri-domestic pests of humans. So that leaves, oh God, math, 3,960 species. What are they doing? Where do they live? Because if they're not in my house, where are they? Mm, Good question. They're in forests all over the world, tropical to temperate Mm -hmm. forests, and they're breaking down the nutrients in that forest as it, as a tree dies, as leaves fall, all of that detritus, all of that organic material needs to go somewhere. Yeah. It, I often wonder what, what did the poor carpenter bees do before I moved to Georgia? Right. <laughs> <laughs> They're very bored. Yeah. They're very homeless. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you brought up the, the, the size of it. I, I was curious as to, is, is there a physiological reason that spiders have eight legs? Um, it occurs to me that is there is there something about is there some reason for example the ants uh, according to my memory have six legs um, but is is there some is there is there some particular reason that they know why there's eight legs are better than than six or or four you know no I, I don't know the answer to that and and that question is really hard um, uh, you, you know we can't we can't really answer that question oh, go out on a limb. Because, because really, if you if you think about it, just 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 sort of answering that that question wise, that the, there is no better or worse. Mm-hmm. Because we're talking about you know evolution, Fitness. so there is there is no better or worse. And arachnids, um, arachnids are are a little bit more ancient. Four hundred and fifty million years mm-hmm. ago were scorpions. Um, and so, so they all, all arthropods are sort of related to velvet worms the, their, their, their previous common ancestor had a lot of legs. Have you seen velvet? Well, do you know what a velvet worm is? No. Velvet yeah. worms are these amazing ancient animals that have a lot of legs, kind of fleshy a little bit. And they are the common ancestor to the arthropods. Velvet worms are onychophorans. And oh my God, if you have not seen David Attenborough's Life in the undergrowth. It's like six hours long. Invite some friends over, crack open a beer and a bottle of wine, and be amazed. It's, it, I I can't even describe it's awesome. David Attenborough is probably my favorite uh, naturalist. I mean, just, uh, he's done so much for science education and, uh, you know, really influenced me growing up, so. Oh, the yeah. title was Life in the Undergrowth? Life in the Undergrowth. He has a section on there where they filmed in infrared at night uh, a, a velvet worm. And they shoot this sticky glue out of their mouths. And they shoot it. Or out of their little spigots. They've got like little spigots. Like lassos. And they lasso their prey with this sticky glue. They are they're incredible. And so basically, all of the arthropods that have different numbers of legs came, you know, have a common ancestor with an animal that has a lot of legs, a lot of paired legs. So that's my answer for 
why spiders have eight legs. It's not a great answer. I'm not going to lie to you, but I can't no, answer. I, Is it better? No, I, I was just I was just curious if there was some reason like either the, the the body mass required eight legs or whatever else. But if 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 there if people don't really know, it, then that's 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 a good. Yeah. No, no. Sci- that's that's one of the great things about science is the science is like, hey, we don't know. Well, yeah, yeah there's and limits, you know. But I'm it, not even gonna say that people don't know. I don't know. But it's it's Fair fine enough. because I mean, like I think there's a uh, you know if you watch alien space movies, you know the aliens come down and they always look like us. I mean, with some variation because underlying it, there's some guy in a suit. But what are the odds that an alien's gonna look like a human being? I mean, just on our planet, we are in such a minority. The the ten fingers <laughs> thing. I mean. Um, uh, is, is you know we have we think that you know it, math based on ten is so easy, but that may be just because we have ten fingers. I don't know. Right? Yeah, we we created math. Right. So it's <laughs> it's, it's it's fascinating. Uh, you know, there's so many other uh, insects that have uh, different shapes and sea life. You know, uh, you know the uh, oh, weird oh, tentacular yeah. things that lurk beneath. Right. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. You gotta get you gotta expand your mind and get out there and see the world, people. <laughs> you do. Now, I have to say, we're huge fans of the entertainment factor of the paranormal and Bigfoot. We mm-hmm. just moved to we just moved to Portland, aka Bigfoot territory Bigfoot land. Mm-hmm. And whenever we drive up into the mountains, I mean, we did a workshop up on Mount Hood, and we were up there until eleven o'clock at night. We were driving back, and and we just stopped and we were like, man, like I get why people mm-hmm. think there's a Bigfoot because you want something to be out here because it's so cool. And you, and you fancy that the, the noises that you hear are, you know, like, was that a howl? Was that a howl? Oh, Is someone talking, you know? It's fun. <laughs> it's really fun. Um, um, so I don't know what you, you guys are obviously fans, but also on the other side of it you know, demystifying and, and debunking myths about it. But, uh, mm-hmm. but am I right in, in thinking that you're fans of it? Well, I, I, yeah, I, I think my, well, Ben has his own background, but I, I grew up, uh, I don't know if I was ever a, a full believer, but I certainly entertained the idea and it, it took a long time to get the critical skank, th- the critical stanking skills, whatever that means. <laughs> the critical <laughs> stanking skills. <laughs> the critical I'm thinking yeah. skills uh, to kind of work through uh, how to figure out what's real and what's not, what there's sufficient evidence for and what there's not. And so um, part of the reason I like to do this show is because there's lots of people out there who are like me who who are entertained by these ideas and are fascinated to know the answer but don't know whether what they see presented as fact is real or not. And so we hope hope that we're reaching out to people, expanding their minds, letting them learn more about what is real, what's factual, and how to critically evaluate the evidence. And and that's what's so interesting, too, is that one of the things that frustrates me is um, the focus right now, especially on network television, about, first of all, fear-mongering, and second of all, uh, the focus on animals that are not real, when, when there are so many amazing stories to be told about the animals that are real. We don't need to hype it up. You don't need to show dripping fangs. You don't need to put on dramatic music. These animals are more interesting than people will ever be. And we should show them in, in the light that, that where, where they really are because they're, they're fascinating creatures. And I think we do them a, a terrible disservice, especially by classical media standards um of of the fear-based dramatic 
nature programming. Mm-hmm. I, I totally agree, I'm, and I'm glad you brought that up. That's a, that's a point that I've often tried to make to, to audiences that I talk to is, you know, it's when people say, well, you know, but, but, but you know, d- doesn't Bigfoot add some, some, some beauty to the, to the world? I said, you don't need to look to Bigfoot to find amazing creatures. Like, you know, look at bats. These are animals that, that find their food through sound. Look at cuttlefish. Look at chameleons. I mean, just the world. The, the, it's it's so it's so it's so sad to me that that people are so dissatisfied with the real, genuine, mystery, mysterious, wondrous beauty of the world that they that this isn't enough for them. They 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 have to have the Loch Ness monster. They have to have big. That's a chupacabra. Instead of just actually looking at what's around them and just appreciating the majesty, it's 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 bizarre. Right. Or in addition to it, because I believe that human stories and human myths are, are an important part of our culture. I believe that storytelling and, and, and all of that, the, the, the cultural stories are important. But in addition to that, can't we revel in the beauty of, of the actual natural world? Definitely. And that's yeah, what so- we try to focus on with our, with our videos mm-hmm. is we, don't, we will not do any fear-mongering. I mean, we just... We just won't do it. Um, I believe that there is a market out there for enthusiasm instead of fear. Mm-hmm. Well, well, yeah. Tell I us. Hope uh, there is. <laughs> I hope there is because we're no. I mean, for for, for for those who haven't haven't heard much about you, give us give us you know tell us about your bug education work and and all the things you guys do. Okay. Well, um, so we teach about insects and spiders, and we do it with videos and um, we did some podcast series. We, we just published an educational coloring book. We, we sort of explore all of these different digital avenues um, in order to teach. And we're, we're quirky and we're fun. And, and, you know, because we are scientists, we, we do have that, that, you know, education backing to the, to the things that we teach. And I think that, I think that that really appeals to a lot of people. Um, just the, the variety and the enthusiasm and the science and the positivity of it Mm -hmm. without it being, um, ginchy and silly. It's not faked. Our enthusiasm is, is real. We, we are total bug dorks and we want to share that and we want to help people find their inner bug dork. Um, I believe that every child has a bug dork in them and every kid speaks the language of bug. It's how do we continue to be fluent in that language through to our adult years so that we can then pass that on because fear is passed on. Fear is taught. And in some, in some ways it is inherent, but, but you can change your brain. I used to be afraid of spiders. The more I learned about them, the more fascinated I became. So through education, we are hoping to, to basically kill the fear mm-hmm. and, and really jumpstart the enthusiasm for learning about the natural world. Fear checks Great. in, but it can't check out. <laughs> oh, nice. I like that. <laughs> Boom, as they say. <laughs> so how can uh, our listeners, uh, we, I think a lot of our listeners uh, are, uh, in the education line of work, like teachers and uh, science enthusiasts, how can they get the bug chicks to help out at their school or get your videos or materials to their classrooms? I am so glad that you asked. So Jessica and I are 
finally, after making videos for other people in other organizations for the last several years, we are finally launching our own web series. And the web series will be linked with the national science framework that has been adopted by 48 states. Um, we So it will be available on our website, and we have already 49 videos on our website that are free that people can go and access right now. It's thebugchicks.com. Uh, we interact with people via Facebook and via Twitter. And um, how else can people... Oh, and, uh, I, and if people are in the Portland area, mm -hmm. they can... Portland or Seattle, Washington, Southern Washington, we go all over the place. Just call us, and we will... We will come and teach in your school, in your library. We have an arthropod zoo that we travel with, and um, and we'll come and do a really fun interactive science lesson with your students and with adults. Yes, adults. Cool. <laughs> Can we talk about spiders a little more before we close yeah. up? Okay. Yeah. What about uh, non-web weaving spiders? I, I assume that if there were giant spiders, they would not be uh, web weavers in the classic <laughs> sense. But I know there's a lot of variation in what spiders do with their webs. Yes. Would you like to talk about that a little bit? Because I'm. I, I, there's there's sort of the primitive spiders, the trapdoor spiders, the tarantulas, that that line a burrow with their silk. They don't use it to catch the prey, but they'll either use it for molting. Like we have a tarantula. She's a Brazilian black and white, and she only uses her web when she wants to molt. She makes almost like a saddle in her cage, and then she flips upside down on it with her with her belly up and hooks her her tarsal her sort of claws into the web and that helps her just with a little bit of resistance to push out of her old molted skin. And let me just interrupt and say that you've already taught me something because I never assumed that those specialized use of webs were the primitive ones. I always assumed they were like degenerate web weavers, like they had lost their ability to make a web. <laughs> And that, that's a, I, just flipping that around makes a big difference in the way I think about it. That's amazing. Yeah, the, the, the tarantulas and, and trapdoor spiders use their webs in, in, in really cool ways, I think. Um, so, so we have another little spider who is a tarantula as well, and she's an Antilles pink toe. <laughs> she's bright blue. Right now she's bright blue, yeah. Um, but she creates um, sort of a hammock in the top of her, in the top of her habitat, and she she basically lounges around on that until she gets hungry. And then she goes, she goes down, snags a cricket, takes it back up to her little, her little hammock and, and eats it up there. Um, yeah. So she creates a silken sort of retreat. Yeah. With, with her web, but she doesn't use the web for physically catching the prey. Um, trapdoor spiders do a really interesting thing. Ooh. They'll lay silk lines out of their burrow so think about you're a trapdoor spider, right? You're, you're in a hole in the ground. Some of them have open tops and some of them have closed lids. So how do you, you're in the dark. You don't see very well anyway. How do you know what you can catch on the outside up on the ground surface? So they lay these trip lines. And um, I read a really interesting paper where they can sort of determine prey size by how many of the trip lines are triggered at once. Hmm. And and so, and so they they will determine which size of prey they can sort of feasibly go after without putting themselves in danger um, by the number of trip lines that are triggered at once. And so, so that's that's another way that spiders use their web. 
I like Blake. I'm just fascinated by spiders. Uh, I I was never really afraid of them. I just other than you know having the the brown recluse and the and the, and the uh, the, the black widows, which I was always told to to stay away from, but but the more I learned about spiders, just incredible diverse, uh, incredible amount of diversity. In fact, aren't there some that, and maybe I'm misremembering, but aren't there some that actually live underwater? Yes. Woo. What, well, they don't, they don't, what is it, what is that about? They, well, so so there are things called fishing spiders, and they don't necessarily sort of live underwater, but they but they hunt underwater, right? So they'll they'll live sort of they'll sort of hide out on a reed or a piece of grass that's near the water, and um, they have hairs on their body that create a basically an air bubble over their book lungs, and they will dive underneath the water and you'll see them. They'll look like a little bubble underneath the water and they'll dive down and, and some of them catch small minnows. Some of them catch aquatic naiads like dragonfly nymphs and, and things like that. And yeah, how awesome is that? And then also, do you guys know about the boa spider? No. No. Oh. <laughs> MG. There's this spider that drops, and again, life in the undergrowth, um, that drops this sticky globule at the end of a strand, and it will literally swing it like a like a lasso, like a lasso, and and stick it to its prey. Like, oh wow! Spin it in the air and stick it to its prey. There are net catcher spiders. Um, that hang upside down and they, they create a net and they hold it in, in four of their legs and they will drop down from a silken thread from their abdomen and basically put a net over a ground dwelling insect with their legs. That like is an so cool. Like, like an old school. Yeah. Fish. I've seen that. That is awesome footage. Totally awesome. That totally. is so cool. Yeah, it's just amazing. There's there's so much drama in in, in the microscopic. It was not microscopic, it's macroscopic, but very small uh, worlds out there. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot the, happening. There's a they lot use happening. the hairs on their arms like a scuba tank. <laughs> That's so cool. It is. It is. <laughs> I love it. Well, I hope that um, your visit here has uh, inspired some of our listeners to dig deep and to reach out to you guys and get more information about your videos. Um, we do have a, uh, a question we like to ask all of our guests. Uh, it's, it's been a tradition here for a while. And that is, what are your favorite monsters? Ooh. You can take a moment. <laughs> okay. Okay. I like that it was favorite monsters plural because mm-hmm. I can't narrow it down to one. <laughs> well, I just wanted to make sure you both. I didn't. You don't have to come to a consensus. You could have yeah. one each. Yeah, well, we can have individuality. Yes, I, sure. I like I like dragons and I like Bigfoot. Bigfoot riding a dragon. Yep. All the better. <laughs> that would done. that would I would I would record that episode. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm, I, I see you on both of those. I'm with you on those. I'm going to add to that the Kraken. Oh, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, because the giant squid. Mm-hmm. If I could study another animal, it might be the giant or colossal squid. A lot of people don't know about the colossal squid. It's actually larger than the giant squid. So the kraken to me is a. Am I right? The kraken? Yeah, the kraken. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, you're the right. The one that reaches its tentacles up oh. and takes down ships. Yes, oh. absolutely. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, uh, and 
And I'm kind of, I'm really interested in anything that might be a dinosaur that is still alive, like a plesiosaurus, like a Loch Ness. Or, mm, those are Mesozoic uh, marine reptiles. <laughs> they will, oh, be careful, they will come after you if you say that those are dinosaurs, they will get you. So. Oh, I'm sorry. What, oh, 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 Jessica just drew a picture. I used to collect unicorns. Oh, yeah, yeah, those are. I'm one of those. I used to have a unicorn collection. Um, I think I just was fascinated with horses, but yeah, Loch Ness, anything that anything that anything might get the water back from another water room. things because I feel like the ocean and and we have not fully explored that yet, and we are going to be shocked and amazed and very excited by what we find in the depths of of the world. Yeah, you should um, uh, if, if you like plesiosaurs, go back and check out one of our very early episodes we did um, with a guy named Adam Stewart Smith who specializes in those. And, uh, oh, it's really just a meaty, meaty, fun episode. And we were, awesome. it was like, it was like our third or fourth. That was very early on. And, uh, we were very amateur, but he did a great job of working with us. So check it out. <laughs> yeah. So, we'll so what did you, what did we'll you say that Loch Ness was, if not a plesiosaur? It's, what? It was the Mesozoic marine reptiles. I'm just saying you don't call them dinosaurs or, or the paleontologists will come and choke you. Okay. <laughs> Mesozoic marine reptiles. Awesome. Not like Good. the magical Leopold. Yeah. So, so, so this is all stuff I've learned while doing this show, right? So you never call any like swimming uh, reptile from the prehistoric times, anything Mesozoic uh, marine reptiles. And then you don't call pterosaurs dinosaurs because they're not, they're flying uh, reptiles. They're like they're, pterodactyls, pterodactyls, pterosaurs. Those are not dinosaurs. They, dinosaurs has a very specific meaning. Uh, it, there's a whole bunch of dinosaur families, and I sound like I know what I'm talking about, but I've only learned this stuff on the show, so <laughs> just uh, that, that's very shallow knowledge, I'm afraid. But I hope it inspires other people like me to read uh, more and learn more because it's, it's really fascinating. The world that we that was before us and the world that we're in now, full of mysteries and exciting stuff, without having to make things up, you know. Although yeah. stories are fun too, you know. But I, I just. Um, I, I just this show has been a thrill to create, and uh, guests like you two have really made it so educational and so much fun. So thank you for joining us. Well, thank oh, you for having us on. We really, really enjoyed it. Monster Talk. Thanks for listening to another episode of Monster Talk. Today you heard Ben Radford and myself, Blake Smith, interview scientists Christy Reddick and Jessica Honecker, the pair collectively known as the Bug Chicks. Our topic was giant spiders, and once again, I left an interview having learned much, and I hope you did the same. If you're interested in having the Bug Chicks talk at your school or incorporating their videos or educational materials into your teaching, go to thebugchicks.com, where you'll find their contact information and samples of their work. Monster Talk is produced with the help of Skeptic Magazine. The opinions you heard on this show do not necessarily reflect the opinions of Skeptic Magazine or the Skeptic Society. I want to give a special thanks to... Howard Lewis, Pentagiotis Sulos, and I hope I didn't mess your name up, Tony Wilson, and Robert Smith. These people contributed to Monster Talk's transcript project at monstertalk.org. Your contributions help us get our episodes turned into searchable content, which can be used to help improve Wikipedia, as well as help people find the show. Every little bit helps, and we appreciate your donations. Monster Talk theme music was by Peach Stealing Monkeys.
Did you know that you can now subscribe to Skeptic Magazine digitally? Just grab our free Skeptic Magazine app, currently compatible with iOS, Android, PC, Mac, Kindle Fire, Kindle Fire HD, and BlackBerry Playbook. Head over to skeptic.com slash magazine slash app to find out more and download more of your favorite Skeptic content.